Hello. <laughs> we, uh, I heard on the radio this week that 40% of America would not be watching the Super Bowl. Here we are. <laughs> I, I, there are a couple of fellas that were not smiling on that one, so uh, we'll, we'll try to make, make sure that we are out by the, by the end of the first quarter. How's that? But, uh, uh, when the pastor uh, uh, sent me an email and said, could you speak for us? since February 4th is the last Sunday of my sabbatical. Could you speak for me on Sunday evening? And I said, well, sure, be glad to do that. And later I went back, I said, February 4th, that sounds familiar. There's something going on then. And I, I went back and looked at the cat. Sure enough, figured out what it was. I wrote him back. I said, well played, Pastor, well played. <laughs> well, we're going to be looking at the book of James for just a few minutes. And uh, I, I, it was pointed out to me that uh, in case uh, get, we get run down tonight, there's a Snickers bar here. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, you, you must keep this in case the music starts getting run down just a little bit. To be, able to be able to pop that in. I've seen, you've seen those commercials. that uh, Snickers makes all the difference. You know, to... We're going to be looking at uh, the book of James. And tonight I want us just to read just the very beginning verses of chapter 1 uh, in James chapter 1. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. May God bless the reading of his word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to hear the insights of your word and the truth that you have for us even this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Book of James is one of my favorites. Uh, first time I ever, uh, when I was pastor in seminary, and first time I ever preached through a book of the Bible, it was the book of James. And uh, at that time, it was it was the winter Bible study. that they, Back then, they called it the January Bible study for Southern Baptists. And I was pastoring a small church in Indiana. And I thought, well, now I should do that, do that January Bible study. And I, will, uh, I figured, I'll take the book of James. It's not very big. I said, we, I, I can do that in about four weeks. Six months later, <laughs> finally, finally managed to get through the book of James. But it was so rich. There's so much... It's just so much packed into this book. And I think one of the reasons I like it, and some of you know I'm, I'm editor of Preaching Magazine, I've, I've really been a student of preaching all of my life, and one of the things I like about this, the book of James, is it is very likely that the book of James was a sermon, or at least it was a compilation of excerpts from sermons. It reads like a sermon. I mean, it's very practical, and, uh, and one can almost imagine James standing in front of his congregation there in the first century preaching the words of this book. And so it's, it, I find it just to be really exciting. The, now the author of James, you may remember, uh, is the brother of Jesus. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus. And the, this particular book is very well may have been the first one written in the New Testament. It was probably written before Paul's letters. It was certainly written before the Gospels. It, it was probably written sometime between 40 and 50 A.D. And probably, it very well may have been the very first book written. And I do tend to think, and, and I do tend to think that this was perhaps P. 
pieces of several sermons that James had done that he put together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it was distributed to the churches as they were beginning to scatter. Because already the church was experiencing persecution in Jerusalem. You may remember from the book of Acts. Uh, probably this book was, in fact, written during that period of time after Stephen had been martyred for his faith. You remember Stephen, one of the deacons uh, in that early church, was the first one to be killed, to be martyred for the Christian faith. And this book was probably written during that period after that, when Christians under persecution from the religious authorities in Jerusalem began to scatter. They began to, to go different places. And so I believe this book, James the pastor wrote, and it's a very pastoral book. Pastor James wrote this book as a source of encouragement uh, to those believers who were beginning to be scattered in different areas. And so the, uh, uh, this pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and you, and you got to think about this. Who was James? James was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Jerusalem. Must have been Baptist, right? You know, they, they had occasional fusses and feuds, so I figured it must have been Baptist. And, uh, but James was, so James was the pastor to the apostles. Imagine that kind of job. You know, some, you know it can be intimidating d- depending on who's in your church or who you're preaching in front of, but can you imagine standing up to preach and there's, there's John, <laughs> there's Peter, you know, here's, uh, here's Matthew over on this, you know, that could be a little bit intimidating. You know, when they weren't out preaching, there they were, right there with the, gathered with the folks in Jerusalem. And so uh, it's an exciting thing to think about what that experience must have been like. And so James is writing this book of encouragement. He's reminding them that the overall emphasis of the book of James is that faith is something that is put to work. You know, one of the things that's interesting is Martin Luther, we, we just recently had the 500th anniversary of the, the Reformation of Martin Luther um, hosting his uh, 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. And one of the things that's interesting is Martin Luther was not a big fan of the book of James. He called it, in fact, he called it a right strawy epistle. You know, he didn't say it doesn't belong in the Bible, but he just, he, it was one of his least favorite books. And the reason was because while Paul, Martin Luther, loved Paul, while Paul talked about uh, faith, faith being through grace, through grace alone, James is saying, yes, but when you have faith, it gets to work. It does something. It doesn't just sit there. And so one of the things that, that he is dealing with as he's talking about faith is he's saying, especially in these opening verses, he is trying to encourage this young church. Remember, we, could be no more, we might be no more than 10 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. The church is in its very beginning years. And he is encouraging these believers who are facing persecution, many of whom had to leave their homes, leave their cities, and go to other places. He is encouraging them in their faith, but he's also encouraging them to stand up in the face of persecution. Trials, tribulations, and difficulties. And so, these first couple of verses, verses 2 through 4, this is one of those passages that we look at and we read and we say, are you sure about that? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
Consider it joy when you face trials. And we look at that and we say, you know, I don't know about you, James, but I think I'd just as soon skip those trials. It'd be okay with me if we just kind of had smooth sailing right on, that we don't have to deal with any of those kind of trials. J.B. Phillips' translation puts it this way. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. We look at that and say, no, that doesn't help. <laughs> it still seems kind of odd that you would be happy, that you would be welcoming to trials and difficulties. The whole idea that we should be thankful in the face of trials seems unrealistic to us, maybe even foolish. You know, we think that happiness is the absence of problems, not facing problems. Why would we welcome trials? Well, first of all, notice what James is not saying. He's not telling us to have a joyful emotion during trials. He's not saying you should giggle your way through trials. Have you seen those TV commercials recently that, that say, you know, uh, that, that there's some folks that love when bad things happen, you know, and you get the picture of the, the, the lady carrying the, the, the wet grocery bag and all the groceries fall out, and she starts laughing uncontrollably, or the guy that smashes his head against the glass window, and, and he just thinks that's so funny. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is not saying you should be giddy about facing trials. He's not saying we should enjoy our trials, and he's not saying that trials are a joy. He's not saying that when bad news comes into our lives, we should be happy about it. He's not saying when you lose your job, throw a party. He's not saying laugh about losing a loved one. He's not saying that these terrible, tragic events are joys. Notice what James is saying. He's telling us to consider it pure joy. That means make a conscious, deliberate, careful decision to experience joy even in a time of trouble. In other words, decide, I am going to have joy even in the face of trials. It's a, it's a decision to have an attitude of joy even when things are tough, even when things are difficult. Lloyd Ogilvie, for many years, was pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California, and then he became chaplain of the U.S. Senate. I, I still remember years ago having an opportunity to interview him and actually got to the Capitol building and was taken through the aisles, weaving up to where his office was. It was kind of back in kind of an obscure area of the Capitol, but then he walked me out onto his balcony, and there, there he was, the whole Washington Mall right there. I thought, you know, I could put up with some, a weird way to get to an office to have that kind of look you know, coming out of the office. So, but Ogilvy had a period of time when he went through some really intense difficulties. He had, during a period of time, he had five major, major surgeries, plus radiation, plus chemotherapy. I don't know about you, but I would consider that a diff time of difficulty, to be experiencing that. And yet, he wrote these words. He said, the greatest discovery I've made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I can have joy even when I don't feel like it. When I had every reason to feel beaten, I felt joy. In spite of everything, God gave me the conviction of being loved and the certainty that nothing could separate me from him. It was not happiness or gush or jolliness, but a constant flow of the Spirit through me 
At no time did he give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted it on my timetable, but that he was in charge and he would give me and my family enough courage for each day. Grace. Joy is always the result of grace. Trials will come. No matter what we do, trials will come. If you're not in the midst of some kind of trial or difficulty in your life right now, then chances are it's because you've just recently come out of a difficulty, or there's one in your future. That is part of life. That is part of being human. We will face trials. James didn't say if you face trials. Do you notice? He said when you face them. Like those Jewish Christians who'd been scattered in the face of persecution. We can rest assured we will experience trials, but we can also rest assured that God will enable us to experience joy even in the midst of those trials. But James wants us to understand that those trials are simply a part of the process by which God works in our lives. We experience those trials, and those trials become testing moments in our lives. Now, that, that word testing that he uses, it's a Greek word, dokumenian. It's, it's a word that actually means genuine or without alloy. You know, sometimes they'll take a, a, a precious metal and they'll mix it with a cheaper metal. That's an alloy. And this word, dokumenian, testing, comes out of that root that means something that is pure. It's without alloy. It's genuine. And so James is saying that tests that we experience become tests of the genuineness of our faith. But now the word test here is not the kind of test that you know, we take in school that tests our knowledge. This testing of faith is not to determine what's there. It's a test that's to help develop something that may not have been there already. That's one of the reasons why for the person who lives by faith, who lives in faith, trials can be a time of rejoicing. Because as we go through trials, we know that God is not simply testing to see if we have faith. He's using the trial in our lives to further develop our faith, to further shape our character and life. Now, a little later in the, in the, the book of James, he will assure us the trials didn't come from God. God is not the one that puts those trials on us. But he will take those trials. And even as we experience those difficulties, he will bring our best out of them. He will accomplish good things for us, even in the midst of them. That's what Romans talks about when it says that all things work together for good. To those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. It means that even the bad things that come, God can somehow take those and use them for our good. And that's what James is telling us here. So what does this testing accomplish? Well, James says the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That word perseverance could also be translated endurance, steadfastness, a lasting commitment. It's not a passive term. It's not a term that says just stand there and let life beat on you. Not what it's talking about. This is not just standing there while circumstances beat on your life. This is an active word. It means to actively stand up to those circumstances and to know that you are 
ultimately not the victim of those circumstances, that ultimately you are in the hands of one who can overcome the circumstances. Not just the ability to bear trials, it's the ability to overcome them, to turn those trials into greatness in God's hands. Now, the word perseverance includes the ability to endure patiently so that the Christian can trust and pray even as a trial may continue for a time. And the word carries the idea of discipline. When we have perseverance, there is a disciplined obedience to Christ as our Lord. And the term also involves faithfulness. We're not part-time disciples. We have staying power. God can give us that, even in the midst of the difficulties and the trials. As followers of Christ, we want to have that kind of faithfulness, don't we? That's why we can rejoice, even in the midst of trials, because we know that those trials, however painful they may be, will be used by God to strengthen us, develop our faith in a way that we might never have experienced apart from those problems. I've talked to people, and I bet you've talked to people too, who've talked about how God, even in the midst of a difficulty that they never would have wanted, somehow God had grown them and strengthened them and given them new power in their lives that they never had experienced before. Even here, though, perseverance is not our ultimate goal. What does it say in verse 4? Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a spiritual progression here that James is talking about. Trials become tests, and tests lead to perseverance. But what does perseverance lead to? Perseverance produces spiritual maturity. The ultimate objective is to be mature in Christ, to be fit for God's service. James uses the word teleos. It's a word that it, in the King James is translated perfect. The more accurate translation is mature, fully developed. You have a child and that child's growing and develops, but when the child becomes an adult, he's mature, he's developed. It's a word that would be used of someone or something that's fit for the task it was meant for. For example, you might want to say, I finished building that car. Well, not until you put the wheels on it. You know, you gotta have some, it's not ready until it's got all the parts. It's not ready if it doesn't have a steering wheel yet. It's perfect, it's complete, it's mature when it's got all the parts that need to be there. It's, then it's helios. And our goal as followers of Christ is to be teleos, is to be fully developed, fit for the task God has called us to do. I don't know what your task is. I, I, I know mine, but mine, over the years, sometimes God takes me to one task and then moves me to a different task. And I suspect that happens in your life too. What is the task that God's called you to? Sometimes God will use trials that you face to get you ready for that task to get you ready for the service that he has in mind for you. Spiritual maturity never comes without struggle. never comes without trial. Why do athletes lift weights? 
because the resistance breaks down the muscles and lets them rebuild stronger. In the struggle comes growth. And the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. God lets trials come our way because through our perseverance, we develop spiritual muscles. We become mature. We're able to move into a deeper level in our relationship with the Lord. You may have heard the story before about the, the man that saw a cocoon and, and it, was, it, was, it was moving and he could tell there was, that, there was a, that butterfly was fighting to get out of the cocoon and so he, he reached in his pocket, he pulled out a little pen knife and he very carefully, very gently put a little strip in the, in the cocoon so that the, the butterfly could get out more easily and, and sure enough the butterfly was able to then wriggle its way out quickly but it flapped its wings a couple of times and then fell to the ground. Because you see, what he not realized is that part of what strengthened a butterfly to be able to fly is the struggle of fighting its way out of the cocoon. As it fights its way out, it develops the strength that it's going to need to be able to fly. Take away the struggle. Take away the ability to survive. God allows us to face trials. He allows us to face struggles knowing that in the midst of them, they will produce maturity, make us complete in Christ. Just as the refiner's fire purifies gold, it removes the impurity. James says that we may face fiery trials, but those will purify us. They'll make us complete as servants of Christ. In the Old Testament, the sacrificial animal could not be placed on the altar for sacrifice if it had disfiguring blemishes. God uses trials in our lives to produce endurance, to remove the weaknesses, to enable us to gain strength and maturity that we would never have otherwise, to complete us as disciples of Christ. We don't rejoice in trials. We're not happy that things like that come our way because we're... We don't rejoice in them because they're fun or because they're meaningless. We rejoice because even through the pain and the struggle, we can see that God has us in his hands, shaping us, preparing us for something even greater. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that even as we experience difficulties and trials, we can trust that we are in your hands. You will use those difficult times to make us better able to serve you, to achieve that completeness and that maturity in Christ that we long for. Ask it in Jesus' name.